Canucks Central Friday. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah here in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. A lot to get into today. Yannick Hansen will join us, and of course, we'll also have the mailbag here on a Friday. Sats uh, put the tweet out. You can respond with questions there. We'll get to as many as we can. Uh, we'll we'll try to filter out the best questions and only take the worst. Only the worst. <laughs> there are no bad questions. Well, but yes. The, in, in spirit, yes, there are no bad questions. In spirit, in spirit, there are no bad questions. Um, so Canucks have the uh, Seattle Kraken tonight. We'll have pregame firing up after six o'clock and if you were uh, listening to the post game on Wednesday after the Colorado matchup you might have heard that Andre Kuzmenko missed a defensive assignment on the go-ahead goal for the Colorado Avalanche mm-hmm. which talk it after the game called it we gave them a free goal yeah and mentioned free goals again today in his uh, post morning skate. Avail with the media, where we found out Andre Kuzmenko would be the healthy scratch. Do we have an Andre Kuzmenko problem developing here for the Vancouver Canucks? Uh, I don't know if it's a problem, mm-hmm. but there is a Andre Kuzmenko situation, right? Yes. That that needs to get sorted out. And and honestly, I don't think it's a problem because it's not too dissimilar from last year where. Bruce Boudreaux, healthy scratch them. Yeah. The head coach at times, Rick Tockett, also uh, limited his minutes and was critical of his play and, and and sat him for longer stretches and everything and and wasn't afraid of criticizing his play despite scoring a lot of goals last year. So I don't think it's anything new with Andre Kuzmenko. So that's why I'm not concerned. Like, we've seen this with him before. Generally, he's responded really well to it. And I still think the biggest difference is he's just not scoring on a lot of these uh, yeah. chances. And when you're not scoring enough goals... And then you're making the types of mistakes that cost goals. The coach's ire usually... Um, yeah. The fuse lead... isn't uh, quite as long in those situations. No, and that frustration from the coach will lead to him doing something like this and try to get him going. And maybe this can spark some of uh, his offense as well. Maybe he comes back, gets a goal, and then gets on a bit of a run. So I wouldn't be concerned about Andre Kuzmenko yet because we've seen a lot of this with Kuzmenko in the past. I just hope for his sake and the team's sake, he just finds the back of the net more often. 650, 650, the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. If you are listening live, we uh, encourage you to chime in and be a part of the show with the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Those that are listening on podcast, we appreciate you listening subscribe leave a review that way you never miss an edition of Canuck Central I'm not at all surprised about this Kuzmenko scratch after watching the goal as we did the pre uh, post game Wednesday night and seeing that Tocket or hearing that Tocket was very upset about it and then seeing what transpired on the goal it was pretty obvious that Kuzmenko just put himself in the doghouse. And he may have already been there to some mm. extent. You know, it's just a week ago now, the last Seattle game, where after it, coach mentioned, Kuzi's got to start playing harder. Yes. And now you have this situation. So it shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody that Kuzmenko is getting this moment for a reset. 
but he's got to really start to to get these details going. Because when he is in these right spots, that's when we get to see him connect play offensively, create some of the rust chances that that line, you know, they did, you know, he had a couple of moments where he made a couple of good plays along the wall yeah. in the defensive zone, springs Pedersen through with speed through the neutral zone, and the Canucks are on the attack. He set you know, up Kuzmenko on a good chance, and he set up a couple other, uh, I forget who it was, but he set up a couple of other guys when he didn't play with Pedersen yeah. by making good play off the boards in the offensive zone. So he's done some of those things. He's done some of those things, but you can't just blow defensive assignments in the yeah. third period of a tie game. Like, you can't. Like, a coach is going to really lose trust in you in those moments. And what are we seeing now with the Canucks? I think, you know, bigger picture, too, with how this Canucks team has played and what they look like. The last stretch, they're not scoring as many goals. Yeah. Like, this has been outlined, right? We're starting to see a team that's probably going to win more 3-2 games, 2-1 yep. games. And if that's going to be the identity of your team, listen, mistakes are going to happen. Well, talking knows that ones, the league's going to tighten up as the year goes on, too. Exactly. So... And especially for how this team is playing and how everything is going, their margin for error isn't as large. They're not going to be scoring five, six goals every night. So you can't be giving up two or three cheap ones. Yeah. And when you do that, that's when the game gets out of hand. And, you know, I think the Canucks, as long as it was 2-2, it was a game. Like, you know, they could yep. have maybe got the third one or whatever it was. Like, I think as long as they were there, that game was for the taking. As, as soon as it was 4-2, I mean, you're not going to score two more goals against Colorado in the second, in, in the third period. Yeah. So it's one of those things where this team and how they're playing – and it's a bit misleading when you look at their goal totals. They can't afford too many egregious mistakes per game. Uh, and both of those games, the the Colorado game and the Seattle game last Saturday, lost because they gave up cheap goals. Yeah, Lost because they missed assignments and gave their opponents too easy of a chance to score. And Yeah, they only scored two goals themselves. Yep. And then, which is not generally going to be enough to win games. No, you, you mix in an empty netter, you mix in this, you mix in that, and the next thing you know, it's a five-two game against Seattle. I mean, against the the Colorado Avalanche, and that's coming off that four-three loss against the Seattle Kraken. So, I don't really have a huge level of concern yet. My worryometer on Andre Kuzmenko and the coach and their situationship, whatever we're going <laughs> to call it at this point, is still pretty low. But what I think is the most difficult when you pull this kind of card is Rick Tockett is right now. As much as, yes, Andre Kuzmenko is in his sophomore year and is a second-year player, facts only, in the National Hockey League. Yeah. He is 27 years old, is now getting paid $5.5 million, is coming off a 39-goal season. He's not the typical sophomore year player. No, and I mean, and some view this, and they're like, hey, like, you know, does he dislike, does the coach dislike this guy? This means Tyler says, talk it to just dislikes him. Kuzmenko makes one mistake, and he gets sat. Uh, He still back checks. He's on pace for 60-plus points. The coach is just not a fan, and... That perception is going to be there when things like this happen. And when you look at the counting stats and how the coach, I wouldn't say treated him, but how he's handled him, I think it's a better way of, of, of phrasing it. But you're right. I mean, it's not your traditional sophomore yeah. player. The age, the uh, the prolific year he had before, the contract he just signed, he has one more year left, and he wants to set himself up for another big contract after this. We know his agent, Dan Milstein, isn't afraid of uh, shaking things up or, yep. or stirring it up if he needs to or wants to get his agent, get his uh, client more favorable 
situation, whether it's more playing time, a trade, or whatever. Did it, it with Zadorov, right? Yeah, and he's done it before, so that's always lurking here. I don't. I'm not there yet either, where I, where I think the coach dislikes him. I think the coach actually likes him and wants to get more out of him. And I just think that this might be the card, the only card you have with him this year, though. Yeah. Like you, I'm not sure you can do this again, and it's going to work out. And at that point, you get to a situation where it, it doesn't just become a. a a point of uh, contention with the agent potentially, it becomes a situation the management team's going to have to handle because they also have to view it as an asset. Yeah. And if that asset's not going to work with this head coach and you have one more year left on it, yeah. how do you best manage that asset and get something out of it as opposed to it becoming a problem for you? So that's the thing that, that I wonder about. Does the team get to a point where they're like, is it going to work with these guys or not? Yeah. You can't if let it's it, not... You can't let it become Morgan Frost with the Philadelphia Flyers. No. And... I think that's the bigger thing. And again, I started this whole thing off by yeah. saying I'm not too concerned. I think it'll be all right. But these are real things and pressure points that could arise if this tact with Kuzmenko now doesn't work. So the biggest issue I think um, players will have, and you know, it's not always going to be that they see eye to eye with a head coach. We know that. And it's okay to have a little bit of friction here and there. The coach isn't there to be their friends. But does Andre Kuzmenko, and this applies to any player that would be in a similar situation, does Andre Kuzmenko believe that the same set of rules apply to him as they do to everybody else? I mean, can't speak for him, but let's look at the facts. At least, okay, it's hard for somebody individually sometimes not to feel aggrieved, even if you see evidence of it not just being to you, because yes. we all have egos, and you never know how somebody's going to view I mean, You never know what somebody's worldview is, and even the view of their immediacy to really know, but just let's just go through who the coach has held accountable. Yeah. He benched JT Miller in, in the second period for five minutes and talked about it, and yep. talked about how that was, was for accountability. He hasn't been afraid of doing these types of Called things. Called out Elias Pettersson after he scored a hat trick. And I don't think Pettersson's game has been at a point, and he's been so productive. Again, if Kuzmenko's scoring a lot of goals, maybe there is a bit more rope here, right? But he's been so productive that despite all that, he's not going to you know, bench him. But even th- so, I've noticed a few games when Pettersson's not going, he's reduced his minutes in the third. Yeah. There's uh, the game against Seattle. I don't think he loved his game. I saw him play with uh, the the bottom six a couple of times, and they had Beluger play in a spot oh, a few he, shifts yeah, with Kuzmenko. He, he definitely like, wasn't loving what Pettersson was doing in, at points. And... and it wasn't a benching, but it was like a message of, you're going to take a few shifts here with, with yeah. Yeah. Uh, with the bottom six, we're going to promote Beluger. It was a, it was a more subtle message than it was. A full-out benching. It was. So the coach... He, I think he skipped him on a couple of shifts too. Uh, he did. And and I remember just looking, I remember, because uh, I was watching it on Press Row that night. Yeah. And you guys, you and uh, Dan Bick were doing the uh, intermissions. And I remember watching, I'm like looking over and I kept looking at the shift chart and I kept like looking over to iMac and asking like, did, did, did Pedersen miss a shift? Like, what's going on? Like, it wasn't a huge deal yeah. because, you know, it's one of those things. But it was obviously something the coach wanted to get across. Yeah, and I think when you've seen that with Pedersen, you've seen it with J.T. Miller, you've seen it with other players. Well, I think the coach has at least demonstrated that there isn't a different set of rules here for Kuzmenko because he's holding other star players accountable. And Kuzmenko did get the. Uh, I mean, I, if he said it in the media, I'm sure he's been talking with Kuzmenko about what he's needed to see from him. And there was the game against Seattle last week. Where he said, Kuzi's got to play a little harder. And then 
Two games later, now Kuzmenko is getting the healthy scratch. Mm-hmm. So the warning signs were there before we got to this situation. But again, it comes down to defensive assignments and non-negotiables. And if you're a head coach and you have these sets of rules, we've got to live by our staples. The staples have to be our Bible. How many times has Tockett mentioned these types of Mm -hmm. things? Well, you've got to hold guys accountable when they aren't living up to those staples. And that's part of the bottom line with the Vancouver Canucks right now. So I don't think there's any like huge alarm bells with Andre Kuzmenko just yet, but... It's definitely a situation to monitor. Now, last year, whenever Kuzmenko did get some form of heavy-handed coaching, whether it was Boudreaux with his healthy scratch of Kuzmenko early on last season, uh, when Tockett would reduce his minutes towards the end of the year, he always seemed to respond pretty quickly and have a good game, score a goal, whatever Mm -hmm. it may have been. Uh, Hasn't done that as much this year. So we'll see how this continues to develop. But there are couple of other developments here that wanted to get into. Before we get into the roster changes, Nils Oman and Cole McWard coming up, the other soundbite that was very um, loud from the morning avails, Elias Pettersson is fine. Yeah. They want everybody to know Elias Pettersson is fine. He was asked, talk it was asked if Pettersson is still dealing with some form of lingering injury. He said, no, he's fine. Could play a little better, but he's yeah, fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So getting the, the, listen, if player, this is one of the things uh, athletes often talk about. They say it's a tough world. It's not fair, but if you're good enough to play, you're good enough to be criticized. If you're suiting up, then you're fair yeah. game. You're playing because if you're saying you're ready to play, you're taking a spot away from somebody else who can play. And if that's the case, then you have to be accountable. Like you have to um, also pick it up. Like you can't be you're playing because you want to play, and we all have to accept you're going to be fifty percent of what you can be. Then if that's the case, mm-hmm. don't play. Have somebody else come in to line up for you. It's, it's it's a very you know a cold cut situation in that in that sense. But I would say it's also you don't want to tell anybody he's hurt. Yeah. You don't want to get that word out there. He's playing through injuries, make excuses, nor do you want the opponent to kind of have a feel of what's going on. You're going to just say he's fine. Clearly, he doesn't seem 100%, whether that's his game or whatever it is. I know there's been speculation about different types of injuries. Is it his wrist? Yeah. Is it his growing even? That's kind of been thrown out. I've asked. I can't get any any clear answers on it. That doesn't mean that somebody else's reporting isn't accurate. All I know is I can't really get a straight answer on this, and they want to kind of be quiet about it. But he's not a, he's not playing at a, so if it's not an injury, whatever it is, he's not playing at the level we're accustomed to seeing. And I, and I'm not even talking about the production. Yeah, it's some of the mistakes he's made. It's kind of not being as I'd say. Um, decisive with the puck yeah. where, where, when he norm, normally is. Maybe it's just a bit of a spell, but he's not playing the type of hockey that we're used to seeing from Pedersen, despite the fact he's piled up a ton of points. Uh, he's he's fallen all the way to sixth in NHL scoring. So Oh, sixth. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, he's, he hasn't taken as many face-offs recently. People are reading into that. And again, Pedersen, it's not the production, as we've talked about over the last number of shows, it's the defensive mistakes, um, the defensive awareness that has not been there in the way that it normally is for Elias Patterson, And that, to me, has been the more questionable part of his game than anything else. Uh, from a, 
Farhan today, who had a quote from Elias Pettersson after he was asked whether there's any level of wear down. I know you guys are fishing. I heard guys are speculating, but no, I feel good. So that's yeah. from straight from Elias Pettersson's mouth. Yeah, and I mean, and remember last, no, sorry, um, two years ago when he had the really bad start mm-hmm. and he was asked, do you have an injury? Are you playing through anything? Are you okay? He said, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then later in the year, he mentioned, yeah, he was still working through yeah. things. He didn't feel 100%. So it's one. sometimes you say one thing, but the truth is another Again, they're all downplaying it. Now, it's nothing major, because if it was, then he wouldn't be playing. Yes. So at the end of the day, he needs to perform. And I think he understands that, and the coach understands that. And if they didn't understand that, I don't think they would have taken the posture they took today. So that's the latest on Elias Pettersson. Maybe telling a little bit of a fib. I don't know if we'll ever know. Maybe we'll find out by the end of the year. Uh, so uh, Rick Tockett's son is coming up from the Abbotsford Canucks. Yeah, his uh, Swedish son. <laughs> that is uh, Nils Oman, as uh, we continue to joke here on uh, on Canucks Central. But yes, uh, Rick Tockett made it very known how much he enjoyed Nils Oman's play at training camp, how much he uh, didn't love that uh, Nils Oman was one of the players that was sent down, but understood that it was part and parcel with asset management and Nils Oman not needing waivers to go down to the Abbotsford Canucks and other players with the Canucks needing waivers. So he ended up being the odd man out. Nils Oman is up today along with Cole McWard as the Canucks officially place um, Tew Suter on IR and they've placed Carson Soucy on LTIR retroactively. So uh, it opened up some cap space, and it opened up a couple of roster spots for the Canucks to add to their group. Nils Oman is one of those players, and it looks like he's going right into the lineup as Andre Kuzmenko comes out. Yeah, and he's a player that, if it wasn't for some uh, some players and waivers and everything, he was going to make the team. Like I, he deserved to make the team. He did. Like, thinking I mean, back to Victoria, like you, we noticed it right away. He like played he, really well. He really did. And the only reason he didn't make the team was because they wanted to keep a couple other guys that would have been exposed to waivers, and they weren't ready to be put Garland or mm-hmm. or, or obviously even um, Bavillier, obviously. And Jack Studnika played well enough, and because of the waiver situation, and he still ended up getting sent down, but. They thought maybe they would give him a ch- chance first, but it was really him getting caught in a numbers game. And the fact that they thought, hey, if he has, has to actually go to Abbotsford and play some, maybe it's not the worst thing because yeah. we want to explore his game a bit more. Like we think there's more to his game and he can't just be a 13-14 forward. Like we want to see if he can do more than that. So he goes down, piles up the points. Yeah. And it's going to get interesting because he only ha- he's only a couple games away from needing waivers now. Oh, so I think it's one of those things where if he's here and doesn't go down after playing against Seattle, maybe he's here to stay. That could be very interesting because then you got a real numbers game with the Canucks roster right yeah. now and who could be the ones to go on waivers. Um, Oman has eight goals, 15 points in 15 games with the Abbotsford Canucks so far this year. I, I To your point, I think this is more than just bringing up a player who's got some positional versatility as a roster spot opens up. So you can play him at center. uh, You can play him on the wing. Uh, It allows you, as we saw the lines for morning skate today, it allows them to bring Lafferty up to the top line, give Pedersen a a faster winger to work with. And now you have Nils Oman to play center. So you can 
change your lines up a little bit to give some different looks when you're looking for a little bit of a tweak and a little bit of a spark after a couple of lackluster games. And I'm really curious because he looked a little bit faster, looked a little bit stronger, has shown that he can score pretty well at the AHL level to this point in the season. Uh, this is this is a really interesting player and a really interesting spot for Nils Oman. It is, and I think he's getting a chance to play his position, which yeah. is center, and I think they, they really like the fact that he can play center. And the coach just likes the fact that he's a really aggressive forechecker. He's got good speed. He's got good length. He's really good at at getting the right angles, digging pucks out as well. And especially for a team that wants to be able to do those things, I think they feel more comfortable with him playing center, I think. And when you look at a guy like Sam Lafferty, as good as he's been, I believe he's going to be at his best when he gets to play wing. And now that allows that to get freed up here as well. But I'm a real big fan of uh, Niels Oman's game, and I'm really intrigued to see how it develops here because we wonder who's going to be the third-line center long-term. Yeah. Pew Suter has one more year left on his contract. Teddy Bluger, Bluger's deal's up after this. Once they hopefully sign Pedersen and Philip Hronik as well, we know the cap's going to be a bit of an issue. There's only so much space. Can he be somebody that can step up and, and play a bigger role for you next season and beyond at a decent rate? And I think yeah. that could be a real key player for you long-term here. Because as good as Atu Ratu may be, he's not really playing center full-time to begin with. Mm-hmm. What is that going to look like at the NHL? How far away is he? This might be a really good, solid piece for you if he t- does elevate a little bit here next year and beyond, and you really need to have that third center behind Pedersen and, and, and Miller. It's still, it still it always felt like, even coming into the year, and after seeing Ratu even show uh, a level of development through training camp and the preseason, it always felt like a year where he was slated to just spend a year seasoning in the AHL, barring some yeah. really serious injury concerns around the roster or... Ratu just really popping and breaking out and deserving a call-up. But the Canucks organizationally are in a spot where you have a lot of these 22, 23, 24-year-olds that you kind of like, that you're interested in, but you want to see if any of them have more than just, are you kind of a tweener that we can call up every once in a while when we need a player? Can you be more than a fourth-line energy guy? Um, They're trying to find out which of these guys down there in Abbotsford have a little bit more potential than being just bottom of the roster type players? Yeah, exactly. And he's a player that I'm really intrigued to see that if he can be that. Cole McWard, I think it's a he's a kind of a break in case of emergency and maybe needs a bit more development time. Because don't forget, Niels Oman played 68 games last year, and for players 22 or older that sign their contracts. It's either three years of NHL eligibility or yeah. 70 games. So if he plays two more games, he's going to be waiver eligible. So it's kind of, it's he's probably going to be here. Now that yeah. he's here, I think they were waiting for the right time to call him up. Maybe they were, they felt their hand was forced. But he's played 68 games. And I think for a guy like Cole McCord, for him to kind of be in the spot where we serious, we look at him as a serious contender to stick, probably needs a bit more seasoning still. Um we can answer some of the questions about who might be the one that goes on waivers if Aturatu, or sorry, if Nils Oman sticks on the roster and plays these next two games. But we'll deal with that more on Monday yeah. as uh, the Canucks have these two games, one tonight against the Seattle Kraken and another tomorrow against the San Jose Sharks. Yannick Hansen is going to join us. 
That's coming up next. Vancouver Warriors lacrosse. Don't miss out on the best show in town for as low as $25 at tickets.vancouverwarriors.com. You are listening to Canuck Central. Back in on Canuck Central, it's Dan Rachel and Satyar Shaw. So much to get into. Got a ton of texts coming in. A lot of people asking about Nils Hoaglander. As uh, Hoaglander is uh, finding his role, scoring some goals. It's finally bringing some uh, some love to the number twenty one in the in the Vancouver Canucks program. It's been a while. It's been a while. <laughs> it's been a minute <laughs> since Mason Raymond. Yeah. Since May Ray, it's uh, it's been a while since that happened. We'll get to your uh, Hoaglander questions and a lot of your questions coming up in the mailbag uh, just after five o'clock. But let's bring in our next guest. It is our Friday analyst, and this analyst is brought to you by the Magnuson Auto Group. Metro Ford, Port Coquitlam, and Magnuson Ford in Abbotsford on both sides of the Fraser to serve you. It is Yannick Hansen. Thanks for this, Yannick. How are you? Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Uh, always uh, always interesting with the Vancouver Canucks. The first little slump of the year, I guess you could say, have lost uh, three of their last four and we're starting to see the defense leak a little bit. You know, they're giving up a few more odd man rushes and missing assignments. Is This is kind of part and parcel with the uh, ebbs and flows of a season. Yeah, it, it's also the first time you're running into to a real injury to one of your that are pulling a lot of pulling a lot of minutes and playing some, some important minutes on the penalty kill defensive zone. Uh, and again, now we're, we're starting, starting to see that a little bit maybe. Um, we knew they were thin on D, um, but again, when you take one out of your top four um, and you can't really replace that guy, it, your team game is going to suffer a little bit. It's just a matter of how well can you mask it. Yeah, and I think that's one of the big things in general, right? It's like how you find ways to overcome because as much as we sit here and talk about, hey, the Canucks can make some additions here and there, the reality is they're going to have to just find ways to make it work with whatever they have when injuries happen. You have to have that next man, next man mentality up. Um, it has to be done that way. Uh, you, you get an injury, um, and yeah, it's Susie, and, and it's a top four defenseman. But but it's not. It shouldn't hem you this much. Um, you should be able to fill his minutes. Uh, find guys who can who can pitch in. Obviously, Tyler Myers needs more minutes now, which in the in the early goings wasn't a good recipe. Um, and, and then you need whoever you're bringing up, calling up. Uh, to fill some of those bottom pairing minutes um, and doing it well, and, and that's the thing. And it's like it was a, it was a five defenseman kind of team if Tyler Myers is playing well, um, but but the, again you're gonna get exposed now, uh, especially on the road, uh, last change and all these things, and, and your matchup capabilities goes way down when when you're losing a guy like Susie, especially for all those defensive draws. So uh, the lineup change that's coming uh, tonight against Seattle is Andre Kuzmenko as 
as the healthy scratch. He hasn't had uh, the goals that he had last year. And I guess when that happens, Yannick, you notice some of the defensive miscues and uh, his missed assignments. I think uh, the third goal against Colorado the other night, he's not, you know, guarding the rail. He's not on the defenseman. He's just kind of leaking off into the middle of the ice and not covering anybody really. And that's the one talk it didn't like the most. It seems to be that's uh, that's part of the reason, at least, for his healthy scratch here tonight. Yeah, you you can't do that when you're not scoring 40 goals. Uh, when when you're pardon three or whatever it is he's got, uh, you got to take care of your own end. It's that simple. You cannot hurt the team if you're not filling the net in the other end. If he was, you'd let one of those slides, a couple of those slides, and you talk to him. Hey, sir, make sure we're playing both ways and not defending, and then keep going on the way with his business. But but when you're when you're not scoring now, now it's it's really hurting the club and. and Maybe you're losing some games. Like you don't, you hate to put out individual mistakes as the reason for losing, but too many individual mistakes um, will, will cause that. In terms of also the team overall, with how they play the last few games, would you say that the Canucks in their losses against Colorado and some of the other, even against Seattle last time around, was it more about they can't keep up or they're not as good, or more about making mistakes? And to me, if it's mistakes, those things are correctable. But where are you at in terms of their their game trend? and the mistakes they're making. Yeah, again, I was looking forward to this Colorado game because it, it, it was the first real statement game. Um, I know you, Toronto to some extent too, just because of the media attention and Hockey Night in Canada and everybody's watching you kind of thing. Uh, you want to see how they perform in that. But th- this was, again, a team that you're looking at at the beginning of the season uh, very well could be one of the top teams in the Western Conference. How do we match up against these guys? How do we match up against Vegas? What do we do? Even when things aren't going our way, can we compete with those guys? So that that's the thing. You look at these games, and again, you, you got exposed a little bit here. Um, but that being said, at the beginning of the year, we weren't talking about competing with Colorado. So, so it's a positive conversation we're having right now that we're talking about how are they matching up against the best in the West uh, and not how are, we, how are we doing on that bubble. So in that sense, it's good. But that being said, you have that, that sense and that feeling like more and more. And we're in a very good spot right now. And, and we want to compete for home ice. We want to we wanna compete with the Vegas. We want to compete with the Colorado. Um, so again, it was one of those things you, you look to. And obviously, it, it didn't go their way, our way, if you will. But, but again, they're going to get a couple more of these uh, to get a bit of sense, sense of, of where they stand against these top teams. When two, when two top teams go up against each other, um, is, is that generally just what it comes down to like which team is going to be the first one to make a mistake no no not yeah it's like your mistakes decide games there's no question about that um and you should be able to make mistakes the problem is when we make two and three mistakes on the Mm -hmm. same play they end up in the back of your net um but but it is like you the margin narrows a lot more when you're playing against these guys. Like you, you take a chance at just inside the blue line. And you're on the power play, yeah, but, but Kyle McCarthy, it's one of those things where this can go wrong real fast. And I know you're trying to create, um, and it's a tiny mistake. It's a turnover, yeah, I know, but it's on the power play, and it happens so many times. But because of who it is against, it ends up in the back of your net. Um, and, and it's one of those things where we talk about those tiny mistakes or small mistakes that turns into goals against and. Uh, like I said, I, I I have no question with, uh, with with JT making that play, doing that stuff because it works out a lot of times mm-hmm. and he produces a lot of offense. Um, but it's just one of those cases where small mistakes ends up and now we're down two instead. 
and you know the, the thing that we were seeing too is as good as Elias Pettersson has been all year and he denies that he has any injuries or anything but clearly he seems to not be at the same level and he's still what the third leading scorer in the National Hockey League so it's not like he's not producing but the last little bit his game doesn't quite look to be where it's at and to me when he's not at, at his highest and you play a team like Colorado that's going to make a difference but what do you make of his game and, and how it's been trending? Yeah, I think we've been spoiled early on. I don't think we expected him to be the leading scorer when we started as well. And he started out at this toward pace where he was arguably the best player in the NHL for for a number of weeks. Um, so there is some regression there. there. There's no question about that. You just get accustomed to stuff uh, and things. And again, keeping that pace they were playing with at the beginning and the luck and all these things that played in as well, like it, it was... It wasn't something that could continue for 82 games. So you will have these ebbs and flows. Um, the thing is, how quick can they quash it and how quick can they get back to something that, that's, that's not just okay, but, but to where they're, they're driving play again. Because there's no question, you, you need that line pushing, pushing the pace a lot of night as well. Um, it has been by committee. Um, by all means, a lot of players have played well, but, but you need... You need JT and you need PD to go almost every single night if you want a chance to to beat these guys. Yeah, it really like it just seems to highlight how much this team still needs to add not just another impact defenseman, but I think at least one more impact forward as well. You can always uh, every other team around the league wants to add impact <laughs> players. True. Where are they coming yeah. from, and how are you going to pay them? Uh, like you can hope that your guys, um, it looks like Bovillier is going to get an opportunity now, and it's someone who has been a little bit more quiet than you'd like to. You hope that he can have some sort of resurgence now playing on a, on a top line in the top six where you're going to get more opportunities. He has scored in the past, and, and one of these players turn into one of these impact players you're talking about. You're hoping that one of these guys who gets called up is going to take a stab at mm-hmm. it and, uh, and play 10 great games for the Canucks and then go back down when Susie becomes healthy and kind of build your way into an NHL player that way. Um, that, that, that's really the only way you can, you can solve your, your issues right now. It has to come from within. It really does. And, you know, I, I am actually excited to see some of the guys coming up to help out a little bit, like Niels Oman, because I know the team, I know Rick Talkett specifically wanted him to make the team coming out of camp, and I'm interested to see how he's going to play. And also, w- one of the things that I wanted to kind of throw by you, too, was JT Miller. You mentioned him, and you, you don't mind him making those mistakes, but that goal he scored against Colorado, I mean, the way he drives into Devin Taves, he puts the puck into his skates, and then he wires it. I mean, the combination of speed, skill, power, smarts, and all that being on display, like, can you walk us through how how difficult that play was that he pulled off? Yeah, it's what makes him so tantalizing. He has has nuances and and things to his game where he can play with so much skill, but he, he he has that bite. And it's hard to come by. And the thing when you're moving your puck in and out through defensemen and getting a shot off, like I've fiddled around with it as well as to, to be able to pull it off. So I, I don't know how to do it properly because, like I said, I can't do it myself. Uh, I've tried and it, it always fizzles out. So it, it's one of those things where these guys are as good as they are for a reason and they can do things not a lot of other people can do. Um, one more thing before we let you go, uh, you know, we've seen Hughes and Roenick have so much success together and they seem almost impossible to defend in the defensive zone. But, uh, you know, as, as a winger, 
know, when they do that sort of crisscross play where they switch and it just seems to cause the defense to freeze, how, how hard can that be to defend? Yeah, it, to, in truth be told, if you play man-on-man, it's a little easier to defend. But if you're stuck in zone, like that, it's a nightmare because it opens up mm-hmm. every time you come together. Um, and again, one of the worst things for a winger and is, is movement from the D. What you want is you want them with their head buried, puck coming up. They have to settle it and like kind of deer in the headlight and they're just going to shoot it. That's the best thing you know because like you can time your angle, time, but like as soon as these guys get the puck, like it's, it's lateral movement right away. And lateral movement as a forward is almost impossible to, to protect against because you can't shift your legs quick enough to get into shooting lane. And on the other side, if you rush out against these, these defensemen, how many times have we seen Quinn Hughes do a spinorama? And, and move? Mm-hmm. So it's like you, you're, you're caught in a very, very tough spot because they are so mobile and they're mobile laterally and into the zone as well. So it's like you're worried about getting burned. You're worried about coming around you. You're worried about them opening up a, a clear shooting lane. So you're like already you've got three or four scenarios in your head you're trying to defend as you're looking at this player who's looking at you. So like they're elite defensemen for a reason, and, and that movement is, is so hard to defend against. Yeah, and uh, let's uh, see it continue a little bit more. Canucks are going to need it this weekend. Uh, Yannick, always appreciate the time and the insights. Thanks for this. Yeah, my pleasure. Take care, guys. Uh, There is Yannick Hansen joining us here, as he does every Friday on Canucks Central and joins the People's Show on Tuesdays. So uh, straight from a man who played a lot of games at the National Hockey League level, explaining how difficult it can be to defend the – I don't know, the slip and slide from uh, Hughes and Heronic where they switch spots on the blue line and yeah. create all kinds of chaos in the offensive zone. It's like the pick and roll. Yeah. You know, like, like we, were, we were joking about this a couple shows ago, but I'm like, you know, like the pick and roll is one of the most effective yeah. plays in basketball, but you need two really good players to pull it off, you know, and the best of all time was Carl Malone and John Stockton. Yeah. And the thing is, like before, it's like, well, who did Quinn Hughes have to play the pick and roll with on the blue line? <laughs> you know, like you weren't going to do John T- Stockton and Greg Ostertag. That would have been like, you know, we played with... Um, Luke Shen, right? That would be yep. that type of player, more of a defensive minded, not a great shooter, not a great handler, right? You don't want to put the ball in his hands and have him play the pick and roll. And that's what you have. You have these two defenders now that can cross over. And when when you can do that, and especially when one player will attack towards an attack downhill and the other will spin off, it creates so much confusion. And like Yannick mentioned, if you're not playing zone defense, if you're playing zone defense, it really puts you into a tough spot. And we've seen them really exploit a lot of teams with that play. So uh, Yannick's uh, take on Andre Kuzmenko was essentially not too dissimilar from what we mentioned off the top. Coach can put up with a player that's scoring 39 goals, having some missed assignments defensively, but when you're not scoring, that becomes a little bit harder. And with Andre Kuzmenko stuck on three goals this year, and especially since that line... yeah. Elias Pettersson, Andre Kuzmenko, and Ilya Mikheyev have had a tough go the last number of games. You know that that's part and parcel with you know the defensive, the missed defensive assignments, and Andre Kuzmenko coming out of the lineup. Yeah, it's one thing for you know a player that's got thirty nine goals, mm-hmm. and you know 
Yannick Hansen knew as a player, like, I have a job to do. I'm not here to score a ton of goals. I'll chip in when I can, but I better be covering my own end and mm-hmm. doing the right things when I'm out there on the ice. And it's it's the thing that the Canucks are working most with Andre Kuzmenko in order to get it going. They know he can score. And to be honest, like, Rick Tockett knows he needs Andre Kuzmenko because he very clearly realizes that this team lacks a little bit of that you know, impact offense that Andre Kuzmenko can bring. So this isn't a trying to alienate Andre Kuzmenko. It's let's round out these parts of your game. And when your offense does come around, we don't have to worry about this stuff. They need another winger to really emerge. And we, we spoke about this last year where when Kuzmenko was going and playing at a, at a high level, it was, well, now you can sit and talk about you have Pedersen, you have Miller, and Kuzmenko's right there. Yeah. You know, maybe not at that level, but another player, a real game breaker. Brock Besser has been a lot of things, a great goal scorer. I'm not sure he's a game-breaking player. Mm -hmm. And you saw that against teams with more pace, like the Colorado Avalanche. He's not going to be as noticeable, and he won't be able to have the type of game-breaking ability. That doesn't mean he can't score a couple goals and be a big part of the things. He can be. But against somebody that can really take the game over. We saw Kuzmenko be able to take games over. We haven't seen that yet. Now, that comes from scoring a couple goals as well and getting more confidence and getting more flow and doing those things and being productive. But that's what they need to get out of him. And they need more game-breaking players up front. And with Kuzmenko, it's it's more about getting that out of him as opposed to trying to alienate him. So a couple of things coming in at the uh, Dunbar Lumber text message inbox, 650-650. James in Qualicum Beach. Defense is the biggest problem right now. Not only are they dealing with injuries, but they're overworking Hughes and Hronick with 26 and 27 minutes, respectively, last game. That is James in Qualicum Beach. Um, I, I get your point, James, and I do think you know the coaches admitted that they've got to back off their minutes in moments when they can. But one, you're going up against Colorado, so you want to be using your best yeah. players as much as you can. Two, they also had a Mark Friedman injury they had to deal with. And Tyler Myers left the game with a few minutes remaining. Mm -hmm. So that's part and parcel with why their minutes were up from even where they normally are. I will say this. uh, Neither Quinn Hughes nor Philip Roenick are in the top 10 of average time on ice in the league per game. I was going to say the same thing here. And I don't disagree that you can always, you know, watch the minutes for players. Yeah. Elite defensemen play a lot of minutes. Mm-hmm. It's not out of the, like, look at Kale McCarr's minutes. You know, um, this year, they're not as high. We go back the past couple of years to play 25, 26, 24 minutes per game. You saw the same thing. We've seen the same thing with Mira Heiskinen, for instance. Yep. Great defensemen will play a lot of minutes. That's just the reality. And even so, their minutes are not really that out of order for the top guys. I mean, Quinn and Charlie McAvoy are essentially even. Yep. 24-38, 24-37 for Quinn Hughes. And then Philip Ronick is playing 24-24, which is on pace with Noah Dobson, 24-29, Eric Carlson, 24-19, and Thomas Shabbat. And Chris Letang, for instance, Letang's playing 24-33, Carlson's playing 24-19. Yeah. Kind of a similar kind of pairing in terms of two guys that can play a lot of minutes. And those guys are still outside the top 10. It's uh, Now, I said you know, outside the top 10, but Hughes is 11 and Ronick is 15. So, yes. yeah, you know, they're, they're running their, their top pair hot. But it's one of those things where you hope that you have, like, you don't want every game to be high stress, right? And I think that's 
what has helped Hughes and Hronick at different points earlier in the year where, you know, they had a few blowouts and you could ease off their minutes. So some nights they're playing 26, 27, mm-hmm. other nights they're playing 20. And you could lay off them a little bit, give them breaks in the third period, not have to run it hot. Lately, you know, the Canucks are playing a lot more close games. And when they're playing in close games, you're going to play them 25, 26 minutes a night. You just you need one of those like low stress, those comfortable games to, to pop in every once in a while so you can lay off a little bit. And they've had some of those. Yeah. You know, and that's why, you know, the minutes I don't think have been too outrageous. I think it's fine how much they're playing. Would I like to see them even low, slightly lower for Heronic? Maybe. Sure. But I'm, I'm not really stressed about that more than anything. And one of the other things, too, that... You know, people have to also wrap their heads around. It's a, it's a very competitive league. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of good teams. Like it, it's very hard to be able to play at your best every night. Yes. And as good as you are as a pair, there are nights where the opposition is just on their game and they make life harder for you. And that's not to make excuses, but you're not going to see those guys together. You know, be absolutely dominant night in and night out. I mean, they will have times where it goes up and up and down, but generally speaking, they've been terrific together. A uh, couple of more. Coming in 650-650, and I mentioned this earlier, a lot on Nils Hoaglander. Marcus from the Ridge uh, wants to take on Nils Hoaglander. Why isn't he the one that's jumped up with Quint, uh, with Elias Pettersson? Some other texts, I'm uh, missing them here on the text box, so I apologize for those that texted the questions about Nils Hoaglander in. But there was a few along the same lines of, he's got six goals, why aren't you bumping Nils Hoaglander up to play with Elias Pettersson like we saw at times in preseason and even early in the year. So, uh, so I mean, we've talked about this quite a bit before too, but I think it bears repeating. He's having so much success right now with Nils Hoaglander. He hasn't even established himself yet as an everyday NHL player, not in the coach's eyes. Yeah. So when that's the case, the most important thing for me is, can he get to a point where the coach views him as every night he's playing? Mm-hmm. I trust him. I know what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. He's gained confidence. Now he understands the league better. He understands his role better. When those things happen, or you're closer to it happening, unless you're in a desperation mode with injuries or whatever, that's when I put Hoaglander in that spot. Yeah. Why put him in there now? Like, let him let him have a success. Like he's been great as a focal point. Let him do his thing there. Let him play and let him keep earning and, and growing. And once he graduates in the coach's eye. Then you get that chance because otherwise, it's like you're not quite ready for a showtime. But here you go, go play um, on the top line. You're the top feature. It's it's tough, you know. And I think even he himself has has admitted it hasn't worked the best when he plays that role. I think the best thing for him is to stay where he is and continue to have success. Maybe playing a bit, play yeah, give him a bit more ice time yeah. in the role he has. I feel there's there's um, a couple of things with why Lafferty is the one to go up with Elias Patterson. Plays a very direct game, has a lot of speed, good on the forecheck. Right now, Ilya Mikheyev uh, still doesn't have the same burst that we're used to seeing. And it maybe has even dissipated as, yeah. you know, he had the the adrenaline rush from coming back into the lineup at first and he scored a bunch of goals. And now you've seen his game kind of fall off just a bit. But having Lafferty with the speed, size, and direct profile. I think that's something Rick Tockett is looking for more out of out of that line and also trying to maybe send a message through the lineup like, I need more of this from everybody in the lineup. Those three guys all can forecheck. Yeah. And then you add the, the skill composition from Niels Hoaglander. And it's more more than anything. It's okay if Niels Hoaglander is a middle six player. Mm-hmm. It's okay if, if, if that's what he is. Let him be the best version of what he's capable of. 
every all as soon as a young player plays well, there's this urge to, hey, maybe he's a frontline player. And I'm all for exploring the, those ceilings, but maybe it's best for him to just be this type of player. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. You need players like that as well. It's uh, Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. Keep those questions coming. We've got the mailbag coming up here on Canuck Central.